Find out what the whole world is thinking in The Agenda. This week on The Agenda, new members, new governance, even a new currency. We'll consider what's set to dominate discussion at the 15th annual BRICS Summit. Next week in Johannesburg, world leaders will gather for the 15th annual BRICS Summit. The name of the group, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and now South Africa, was first coined in 2001 by economist Jim O'Neill. We'll hear from him later in the program. But first, let's get some context about this year's meeting and what's on the agenda. I'm joined now by Benju Bird, South Africa's Sue Sherpa for BRICS. What's the big goal for the BRICS summit taking place in South Africa? The big goal for us is, of course, to have a summit uh, to ensure that there's a sufficient and significant interaction between the leaders of BRICS and that uh, the outcomes reflect what we originally committed to in BRICS. And that is basically that we will ensure that there's a global South that is duly included in the entire uh, systems of the globe or of the world. So um, the, the goal for us is to have a summit where uh, we can agree on a significant uh, declaration. Uh, it will be called the Igoli uh, Declaration. Uh, Igoli in our local language, meaning place of gold. So um, the focus there is that we um, reach consensus on those issues that we have discussed in, in several tracks throughout the year. So there's a lot on the agenda. You, 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 this is an ambitious summit. Now, Russia's President Putin isn't going to be attending the BRICS in person. What impact might that have on the decision-making process? Well, um, it will have no impact. I think uh, uh, if I can consciously uh, use the term, I think it was a very uh, mature decision of, uh, of the president uh, of Russia um, not to join the summit uh, given uh, the uh, issues at stake. But he is in, in all the summit elements, he will uh, be joining virtually and uh, he is also represented in person by uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov and as we know uh, Lavrov is no stranger to these meetings, these high-level events where he uh, stands in for, for his president. So we are convinced that summit will proceed uh, without a material impact. Of course the ideal is for our host, our president, to have uh, all leaders in person, but um, the the outcomes are based on consensus. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, um, uh, President Putin will be part of that consensus. You talk about consensus. Now, in the past, there, there have been some quite broad agreements, but the specifics have, have maybe been lacking. I mean, is it that security issues are always a bit of a sticking point or is it something else? holding the BRICS back from making meaningful change? Well, I think we need to uh, take into account and keep in mind that uh, BRICS is a formation of the Global South. We do not have a specific uh, infrastructure in terms of the running of BRICS. Every year is a different chair and uh, those uh, issues that are on, at stake are agreed to 
uh, on consensus. Um, consensus means that everyone in the room will have to agree on those. So broad agreement at the moment is what we want to achieve. Uh, specifics, specifics, I'm sure, uh, as BRICS mature, that will come, uh, just like we are, uh, like any other organization, uh, in, a, in a phase of organic growth. So um, that is also why expansion or enlargement, uh, we call it institutional development, those are the issues that are discussed uh, between uh, the leaders and on all the other different tracks, the foreign ministers, um, as we move to a more structured, a more specific outcomes-based formation of the global south. So yes, uh, um, that is the nature of our agreements at the moment, but going forward, we, we, we might have a more specific outcomes and uh, you are quite correct. We need to take into account those dynamics in the room. This is a diverse group of the global south, and there are specific issues at play. Regardless of yeah. that, I think uh, the um, outcomes that we have achieved and the fact that we have a summit this year yeah. and that solidarity in the group is intact, is uh, all those are, are significant matters to, yeah. to, to acknowledge. You, you, you talk about expansion and why others might want in um, to the BRICS. So who are we, who are we talking about as, as potential new BRICS members and how might they change the dynamics of the group? Well, the dynamics of the group is typical of the global south. You know, it is, uh, um, it is a formation of those emerging uh, prominent uh, uh, major economies. I, am, uh, I know that there are at least 22, 23 countries expressing an interest in joining BRICS. And this is evident uh, or perhaps a, a, a sign of a reward in the sense that BRICS has stayed uh, quite um, true to its original values and undertaking of ensuring that the global south is included in the world systems. So I'm not at liberty to um, discuss in great detail because um, uh, the issues uh, that are um, ex discussed in the expansion debate are of course um, now um, for consideration by our foreign ministers and they will then make a final uh, recommendation to to the leaders, yeah. to, to the presidents and uh, um, leaders of, of BRICS. What about the feasibility of a, a BRICS currency? Uh, what, what's the appetite and the thinking around that? Well, if I, if uh, we all know that to, to uh, reach agreement on, on a common currency is, is quite a significant, detailed and prolonged process. At the moment, the discussion in BRICS is about trading in our own currencies. It is about ensuring that we uh, boost our trade, that we support our intra-BRICS trade by using those currencies that we have as domestic currencies that are traded in the world's um, uh, financial systems on a daily basis. So it is, it is about uh, creating critical mass and prominence for our own currencies, not so much 
a common BRICS currency at this stage. Benji Bert, thank you very much. So that's what the hosts are hoping to get out of this meeting. But what about China? Of course, the largest economy in the BRICS group. Let's speak to Wang Huiyao, founder and president of the Center for China and Globalization. Um, great to have you on the agenda. Now, at the last BRICS summit, um, held virtually from Beijing, um, President Xi Jinping said that the BRICS countries needed to act with a sense of responsibility to bring stability or a stabilizing and a constructive strength to the world. Is that a message that you expect to be reiterated at this meeting? Yes, I think so. I think that uh, the world has entered a new phase. So we were entering a new normal, where I think in the last several years, the, the global south has uh, quickly emerging. And 80% uh, and of the global population, which uh, belong to the global south, actually are, are more determined. And there's more uh, emerging countries coming up. There's more uh, middle powers coming up. And a large number of uh, uh, emerging market economy now wants to have uh, more uh, say, have more uh, cooperation and more collaboration and more voice in the global governance and the global uh, multipolar world. So, so we're seeing a, a new polo coming up this global south and uh, represented by China, India and, and Brazil and the BRICS countries and, and a few more. So, so I'm sure that, uh, that they, they, they would like to have a more focus and have more cooperation, and then that will add new impetus and a new momentum uh, to the multipolar world that we are facing into right now. What is China specifically looking to achieve at, at this summit? Well, I think China has uh, quite a few uh, uh, positive uh, contributions to make. First of all, China is the largest global south country, largest uh, emerging country in the world, and China has accumulated a lot of experience and of course, uh, learn a lot of lessons too, uh, in terms of how to develop a developing country to a more uh, quite uh, uh, developed uh, to some extent, and but also, uh, you know, uh, serving the uh, uh, SDG 2030 agenda, lift the uh, uh, you know poverty, building infrastructure, you know, uh, seeking common prosperity, uh, uh, fighting climate change. So, so China is really uh, hope to strengthen the global South uh, uh, development and also actually to uh, uh, you know build up the consensus that global South share a lot of common similarities and common objectives and facing common challenges. So, so, so to that extent, I think you know China and uh, you know BRICS countries and other global South countries can really work together through uh, other you know AIB through the new. Like uh, development banks and uh, all these new uh, innovations that they're going to have. So when the old BRICS countries put in together, their purchasing power parity is already larger than the G7 mm -hmm. countries in the world. And if you add, uh, you know, uh, other uh, emerging market like Brazil, uh, like uh, Indonesia, like many others, uh, in, in, you know, Saudi Arabia, that that can be even more so. So so I think it's high time that given the uh, geopolitical changing landscape and also given this uh, current uh, challenge we're all facing for the uphill battle <laughs> with the world economy. Yeah. Uh, United, you know, United yeah. uh, uh, BRICS countries, United mm. the Global South uh, can be very important and China can play a very leading role. There's been a real buzz about expansion, but it's been suggested that, that China and India um, have differing views on that. Um, how do you see that playing out? 
Well, I think that uh, you know, uh, you know, China and the India both the largest, uh, most populous countries in the world, and also the two largest country in the global south uh, ranking. Uh, they, 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 they are largely share a lot of common prosperity. For example, otherwise they won't be together in the in the BRICS uh, countries. They won't be together in the Shanghai Corporation Organization. So they share a lot of similarities. But of course, they don't see everything exactly the same. They could have a little difference here, here and there. But I think you know they don't object. Uh, for example, uh, expansion of the of the of the BRICS countries. Uh, they don't ex object uh, more cooperation, economic, uh, uh, you know, uh, continuity of the BRICS countries, and then they really uh, share a lot of similarities. I mean, uh, so so in that sense, I would think there may be some differences uh, in certain you know subject, but largely they, they share the same uh, objective, including the Brazil was another big uh, BRICS countries. So we're looking at the 40 countries wants to apply or join the uh, BRICS country. We're seeing a uh, 40 heads of state, probably representative of the BRICS countries and other, you know, global south countries come to this gathering. It's going to be the largest the BRICS country global south gathering in in the, in the history of the of the BRICS uh, summits. Now, some commentators have suggested that the. BRICS seem to, to lack a, a central purpose and that coalescing around China's Belt and Road Initiative could really unlock its potential. Is that a possibility? The BRICS countries and in, to a large extent global south countries and developed countries share a lot of similarities. I mean, they have a lot of common objectives. For example, they want, all want to leave the people out of poverty. China has already done a good example for that. They all want to build in the uh, infrastructure and you know, have a big connectivity uh, around those countries. China, again, uh, provides a good example. So there's a lot of things that the uh, BRICS countries can work together. They want to strengthen their economy. They want to strengthen their payment, you know, even uh, to some extent more uh, digital, uh, uh, you know, uh, digitalization of the market and also uh, uh, climate change, fighting clean uh, technology and all those things. There's so many similarities. So I think, you know, Global South is the largest market for the infrastructure and China already have a belt and road. And why not we join this together with, with AIB, World Bank, ADB, FDB. So we have many things, new development banks and things like that. We have a lot of common things to work together. And there's a lot of similarity uh, yeah. facing similar challenges. I think, you know, BRICS countries, uh, developed countries, EU, US, and China, of course, India, they should work together. And uh, so, so we're not really uh, going to uh, uh, topple uh, uh, what the existing system. We want to improve it, enhance it, add value and improve it, and, uh, and it's good for everybody. So why not we, we do some new experiment and also try some new things so that we have some alternatives and, uh, and not just uh, have all the things in, in, the, in the old risky position. But of course, we hope to, uh, to work together. I mean, there's, there's still a long way to go, but I think it's good to, for the global south, 80% of our population try something uh, different as well. So where do you think the BRICS group is headed? I mean, is it the hour? of the global south, which is something the Financial Times recently said it was. I think this uh, BRICS summit could serve as, as a start uh, of a new landmark for that uh, milestone. Because, uh, you know, we've been seeing G7 has been more uh, politicalized. I mean, they are having a lot of a statement, uh, which is really more geopolitical driven. So I think, you know, you know that um, some global south countries maybe felt that uh, it's time that we need to have more economic voices, we should have more development voices, we should have more you know, prosperity, global system, multilateral system. So I think global South, I mean, they are actually having this BRICS summit. It's built, I would think it's first they're building up consensus. Second, that they are making their self-identification even clear. 
and then they become a new polo of the world, and then they are really becoming a new engine as well as in, in terms of in future development of the world economy. They're going to be the biggest market in the world for this global south. They already <laughs> purchased power parity, uh, surpassed the G7 already. So let's not uh, underestimate this group. So no, now it's to have a more consensus. Let's get on the geopolitical uh, uh, decoupling or de-risking and all those uh, 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 non-productive uh, mentality. Let's really work together. The health and the safety and economic prosperity is the biggest you know, that we cannot, you know, jeopardize that. That is the biggest risk we're going to face. It. So we have to work together. I think this, you know, uh, emerging market and BRICS summit will serve all those purposes. Wang Higuao, thank you very much. Still to come here on the agenda, we'll speak to the man who first came up with the idea of the BRICS group, Lord Jim O'Neill. As we've mentioned, in 2001, the term BRIC was invented by economist Jim O'Neill as an acronym for the then four countries he identified as being at a similar stage of newly advanced economic development. Eight years later, the leaders of those four held their first summit, turning an economist's thoughts into a true global organisation, incorporating South Africa a year later. So what does Jim O'Neill think of BRICS now? It's because it was an exciting investment opportunity. Why is it less of an investment theme now? Uh, actually, I didn't create it because it was an exciting uh, investment opportunity, although rather strangely, that's what uh, many people now say 22 years later. I, I wrote the initial paper in November 2001 uh, to articulate the case that global governance wasn't very optimal anymore and we needed to change the structure uh, in order to give big emerging market countries more power. Uh, and the paper was specifically called The World Needs Stronger Economic Bricks, so it had nothing to do with investment whatsoever. Although, as your question implied, it seems to become a bit of a theme. It did create a bit of a snowball effect, didn't it, when people were suddenly sitting up and taking notice of those economies when they previously hadn't? Uh, within two years, when uh, with my colleagues, we wrote an additional paper outlining the potential shape of the world economy by 2050. It seemed to have a galvanizing effect on many international-minded business people, uh, companies and investors. And it led to uh, a number of big companies developing their own specific BRICS strategy. Uh, and of course, as you were in inferring, I guess, the beginning of a number of BRICS investment funds. There is still a lot of interest in emerging markets. So are you looking now at these economies individually because they're all growing at a different pace with different challenges? Well, I mean, if you, you take it as the reality of where we sit today, 22 years later, China is uh, twice the size of all the other BRICS countries put together. Uh, and if you look at the progress of them all since 22 years ago, China uh, is the only one that managed to do better than uh, we suggested possible. India was close, uh, but Brazil and Russia have both been very disappointing, particularly in the second decade. Um, and South Africa has, was never a country I, I included, but it became part of the political alliance. And they've never shown any growth since they became part of it. So, as I occasionally jokingly say, maybe I should have called it X for China <laughs> and India.
but no, I think you. I think these days the aggregate story is dominated by China in particular, but China and India. Um, but you do have to look at the individual stories because they're all they're all done very differently. There have been 22 formal requests for other, from other nations to join BRICS. 20 informal requests. So are you saying that expanding BRICS it will neither add nor take away from its stature? One of the few positive things that came out of global policymaking in the past 22 years since I created the acronym was the advent of the G20 in which all the BRICS countries uh, became members alongside uh, the US and the other countries in the G7 and other developed countries and that is a legitimate feature of how complex the modern world is where we have countries of very different political and social structures uh, that are important in the world and the idea that you know the G7 should become better uh, better and bigger and the BRICS should become better and bigger it's not really very sensible because you can't solve any global issues with any of them. I actually wrote a pretty uh, lengthy academic piece earlier this year in which I suggested if they're going to expand, then they should define uh, some very specific criteria as to what are the conditions for country X versus country Y to become part of it, and what is, uh, what is it that that country brings that isn't there already, and what is it going to do to help the existing members? Does it not perhaps depend on who that country is? Maybe in, in terms of clout, in terms of trade potential, someone like Saudi Arabia could, could change the dynamics. Of all the countries that I've seen discussed, Saudi Arabia is, is probably the single most interesting because of its peculiar position as the world's biggest oil exporter. And because of the never-ending conflicts in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia is obviously a really important nation. But again, as I've touched on, um, and if you think about the economic importance, you know, China is today the second largest economy in the world. It's actually the first on a PPP basis. India is the fifth largest economy in the world. It's probably going to, uh, this decade, become the fourth, overtaking Germany and getting very close to Japan. If those two countries... Uh, sat in a room on their own uh, and really cooperated on issues to do with trade, uh, infectious diseases, climate change, that alone would have completely transformative impact on the whole of the world. Uh, but, it, you know, if you're bringing in the likes of Thailand or I see uh, North African countries like Algeria mentioned, you know, the, these countries aren't as important as these issues are for themselves. These aren't countries that are going to change the global uh, consequence of what's going on, whereas the big BRICS countries could. And, you know, they need to be serious about what it is they want to achieve. So let's talk about some of the potential financial uh, achievements of BRICS. I wonder what your take is on the new development bank, you know, providing loans at 32 billion dollars. It does sound at the outset quite impressive, but then again, China mm -hmm. has lent around one trillion bilaterally. bilaterally. Yeah. So when you put it like that, does, does that mean that it isn't as significant as it could be? I mean, I think the New Development Bank has been arguably the one success of the BRICS political grouping. But as you just highlighted, in terms of the global reach, uh, what it's lent so far is, is tiny compared to 
what some big countries have done on their own, including in particular the China Development Bank. So I would love to see the BRICS Bank do a lot more. And, and many years ago, I actually went to Geneva and had a meeting with all the uh, ambassadors for each of the BRICS countries present, in which I tried to encourage them to persuade their countries that the five of them should uh, support the BRICS Bank doing more to finance uh, uh, new uh, antibiotics or new vaccines for dealing with drug-resistant TB, for example, uh, because that is a huge challenge that each of the BRICS countries faces. But nothing happened. Uh, and it's typical of so many areas where they really could, if they were serious, cooperate for some fruitful benefit for all of the members and, and in that sense for the whole of the world. Jim O'Neill, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Coming up on a future agenda. Boiling point, has the world left it too late to tackle climate change? But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all the Agenda team here in London, goodbye.